Hello and welcome to the first episode of NutriSci, Nutrition is Science. I'm your host, Ethan Chen. Today we're going to be talking about how food scientists are developing ways to create healthier, better tasting, and more sustainable plant-based protein products that mimic meat, fish, milk, eggs, and cheese. There was an article in the Nature Journal, Science of Food, titled, A Brief Review of the Science Behind the Design of Healthy and Sustainable Plant-Based Foods, published yesterday, and it caught my attention, so I spent a little extra time reading through its contents, noting and highlighting certain key elements and details. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I have the paper in front of me, so let's just get started. First, I'm going to read the abstract of the article because I think it's a very good summary of many of the main points that we'll need to be familiar with. So, all right. People are being encouraged to consume more plant-based foods to reduce the negative impacts of the modern food supply on human and global health. The food industry is therefore creating a new generation of plant-based products to meet this demand, including meat, fish, egg, milk, cheese, and yogurt analogs. The main challenge in this area is to simulate the desirable appearance, texture, flavor, mouthfeel, nutrition, and functionality of these products using healthy, affordable, and sustainable plant-derived ingredients such as lipids, proteins, and carbohydrates. The molecular and physiochemical properties of plant-derived ingredients are very different from those of animal-derived ones. It is therefore critical to understand the fundamental attributes of plant-derived ingredients and how they can be assembled into structures resembling those found in animal products. This short review provides an overview of the current status of the scientific understanding of plant-based foods and highlights areas where the further research is required. In particular, it focuses on the chemical, physical, and functional properties of plant ingredients, the processing operations that can be used to convert these ingredients into food products, and the science behind the creation of some common plant-based foods, namely meat, egg, and milk analogs. Alright, the first thing that I think is important to address is how people are being encouraged to consume more plant-based foods. I think there are several reasons as to why this is happening. Um, The first and foremost being many people believe that a plant-based diet is healthier than an animal-based one, Um, especially with the consensus of nutrition recommendations today from health organizations and even the USDA uh, Dietary Guidelines for Americans that suggests reducing the intake of red and processed meat in the form of saturated fat cholesterol um, and eating more fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, so more whole plant foods. Another thing is the environmental concern um, and the concept of sustainability. Um, With the current factory farming practices and the overall system just being terrible for the environment and the surrounding ecosystem. Uh, Finally, many people may hold certain ethical values in which they are opposed to the confinement and mass slaughter 
of farm animals uh, and therefore elect not to contribute to these industries and uh, adopt a plant-based diet. The article summarizes that as a result of these environmental, ethical, and health concerns, the plant-based food sector is expanding rapidly to meet consumer demand. So plant-based products like mock meats, plant milks, and even mock eggs and cheeses uh, have become very popular in grocery stores across the U.S. Um, and with rising companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, this is consistent with uh, my own personal experiences in you know, like grocery stores and talking to my friends and family, uh, that there is a growing interest in plant-based foods. And it's even more clear when you look at the numbers. So the article notes that in 2019, the, plant, the plant-based food market in the U.S. alone was valued at nearly $5 billion, with 40.5% of sales in the milk category and 18.9% in plant-based meat products. According to the article, this represents a market value growth of 29% from 2017. But the main topic that is discussed in the article and that we are going to be discussing in this episode is that with the rise in plant-based protein products, obviously heavily driven by consumer demand, it's now getting to the point where companies must work together with food scientists and nutritionists to improve their product while considering both the health and palate of the consumer. Uh, This is not an easy task. Um, And as explained in the article, initially it is important to identify an appropriate blend of plant-derived ingredients to produce a specific plant-based food such as meat, fish, egg, or milk analog. These ingredients may be isolated nutrients such as proteins, carbohydrates, fats, vitamins, or minerals, or complex whole materials such as beans, peas, rice, wheat, mushrooms, etc. These ingredients have compositions, structures, and physiochemical properties that are very different from those found in animal products. One of the major challenges is therefore to assemble these ingredients into animal product analogs. Sometimes plant-derived ingredients can be used as is, for example mushrooms, but in other cases they have to be dissembled into specific structural elements before being reassembled into animal product analogs, an example being soy proteins. So let's take plant milk for instance. Many of us are familiar with soy milk, almond milk, and perhaps some of the newer ones like cashew or pea milk. But there's a lot more to these commercial beverages than just the finished product on the shelf. It's actually a complex description comprised of various kinds of particles, including oil bodies, fat droplets, protein aggregates, plant tissue fragments, insoluble calcium carbonate particles, all dispersed in an aqueous medium containing other soluble proteins, polysaccharides, sugars, and salts. So how are plant milks actually made? It requires fundamental knowledge of several different fields of science and a real focus on maintaining a level of high quality um, that, that result in the liquid that is in the carton. And so this type of food science utilizes colloidal and interface principles, and these are applied to methods like particle reduction technologies, light scattering theory, and particle instability mechanisms, uh, which we will talk about in a second, um, uh, and how it is used in the production process. So 
what I'm trying to say is it's a lot more complicated than just blending up a bunch of, you know, whatever, a bunch of almonds or soybeans, cashews, peas, just blending it with some water and calling it a day. Technically, this is true in the sense that it works, but it's a huge reduction. And what we're going to do is we're going to explore the intricacies of the process a little more, um, which I think is just fascinating. And I hope you do as well. So, according to the article, milk analogs are typically created using two approaches, the first being plant tissue disruption and the second being homogenization. Homogenization essentially refers to the process by which fat droplets and other particles within the milk liquid are emulsified, so the cream doesn't separate as it sits on the shelf. And so we'll get into this a little more in a second, and you can sort of get to know some of the mechanisms by which this is done. Um, but let's start with the first approach, plant tissue disruption. Uh, you take your plant material, whatever that may be, soybeans, almonds, cashews, peas, and perform unit operations such as soaking, mechanical disruption, enzymatic hydrolysis, separation, formulation, homogenization, and thermal treatment to break them down into small particles. The second approach involves blending isolated plant-based ingredients like oils, emulsifiers, and thickeners with water, followed by a further homogenization and thermal treatment to produce an emulsion containing small droplets. These carefully controlled processes are really what result in the appropriate physiochemical, sensory, and functional attributes of the liquid product. So for instance, it's important that all the particles are very, very small. Uh, small enough so that you won't have the natural separation and aggregation effect in the liquid as it sits on the shelf and, uh, you know, gravity does its thing. Um, and so you would use the appropriate chemical, enzymatic, or mechanical size reduction methods for that purpose. In addition, plant-based stabilizers such as emulsifiers or thickening agents may also be added to improve emulsion formation and its stability. These can include surface active proteins found in soy, pea, fava bean, and lentils, polysaccharides in the form of modified starches, phospholipids from soy and sunflower lecithin, or surfactants like tea saponins. And what you'll often see in the ingredients uh, of the plant milk uh, container uh, you get at the grocery store Chances are it contains one or more of these elements. Uh, so polysaccharides like pectin, locust bean gum, gelin gum, starch, methylcellulose, carrageenan, and alginate, these are all common plant-based thickening agents that are often added to modify the texture uh, and again prevent the particles from separating. So that's something that maybe you can look for the next time you go to the store uh, and you can kind of think to yourself like, huh, you know, I know what these are, um, and uh, not just some random additives or something like that. And so this vast assortment of ingredients and processing operations that are used to optimize the desired properties of the milk are needed for all of these plant-based products, not only the plant milk, but for the mock meat and eggs, cheese, and such as well. And this is something that many who are working in the field of nutrition and food science are beginning to gain a better grasp of as research progresses. 
uh, right now the main goal of research is to develop new plant breeds and new processing methods to reduce the quote-unquote off flavors of these plant products uh, since plants tend to have certain bitter earthy grainy tastes and textures that are different from that of real animal products one thing I will mention though since it comes up in the paper too is I would say the elephant in the room um, this is true when discussing plant-based diets uh, because often these diets are categorized uh, or characterized um, by, you know, vegan vegetarianism and vegan vegetarian diets. And while plant-based vegan vegetarian food is expanding, uh, obviously, to meet consumer demand, the article states that a plant-based diet is not necessarily better than an omnivore diet from a nutritional perspective. And I agree. Um, plant-based products are often fortified with micronutrients that would naturally be present in animal meat, milk, and eggs, um, like vitamin D, calcium, zinc. Um, they may also be less digestible and may not provide the full assortment of essential amino acids the body needs. Um, and yes, although all foods technically contain all nine essential amino acids, there's a lot less in plant-based foods generally than in animal-based foods. And so the problem is that many of the plant-based vegan vegetarian options that fill the shelves of grocery stores today are highly, highly processed um, and full of saturated fat, salt, sugar, and lack the health-promoting aspects like dietary fiber and phytonutrients that you would get in whole plant foods. Uh, artificial flavors and synthetic textures are also common to compensate for the, uh, you know, certain like earthy, grainy textures that we mentioned. Um, that really contrast uh, the taste and feeling of meat uh, and animal products in general. So addressing the health aspect of plant-based foods, especially being inherently ultra-processed as a product, is I think the first thing that should be done and is being done uh, and needs to be done before these products can make sort of more groundbreaking success in the market. Um, and of course the other part of that is the sustainability of the product which is just as important um, and that goes along with things like identifying the proper areas of land best suited for agricultural crops and developing more efficient processes that conserve water, land, and you know other resources. In the meantime it may still be beneficial for people to reduce their consumption of red and processed meat and lean into a more plant predominant pattern of eating especially those in more wealthy developed countries who do have access to nutritious alternatives like beans lentils nuts and seeds whole grains um, and can take advantage of these and let's just say enjoying a veggie burger every now and then couldn't hurt either with that being said, I hope you enjoyed this episode of NutriSci, Nutrition is Science. I'm your host, Ethan Chen, 
And on a personal note, I would just like to thank you for taking the time to listen in and support this podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please do let me know. If not in the comments, you can also visit our website, NutriSidePodcast.com, and leave a review. Feedback is much appreciated. Uh, I'd really like to stress the fact that I'm not a professional or anything like that. I'm just a person who loves learning about science, nutrition, uh, and of course, nutrition science, um, and talking about it and sharing ideas. And I hope that through this process, we can learn a lot from each other and just talk about nutrition as a science. So, yeah, stay tuned, and until the next one.